0: Welcome to the latest episode of the Shaken and Stirred podcast. I'm Simon Hildrey and with me again is Phil Milburn. Hello, Phil. How are you?
1: Very well, thank you, Simon. And hello to everybody.
0: As we head towards the end of the year, why don't we look at central banks today and some of the statements that they've been releasing? Um, what's, what's your thoughts on those?
1: Hi, Simon. Yes, I think today is a great time to focus on some of the lesser known central bankers, certainly we're all very used to looking at uh, Powell and historically Draghi and obviously now Lagarde. But I'd like to chat a little a bit about the ECB's chief economist, Philip Lane, um, a little later in this podcast. But most importantly, Philip Lowe, who is governor of the Reserve Bank of Australia and also has another role as the chair of the committee of the global financial system at the bank for international settlements and if that's not a title that creates envy i don't know what is but certainly they have been in recent speeches increasing the debate about the effectiveness of the what is known as unconventional monetary policy
0: can you explain what unconventional monetary policy is
1: Certainly, the first and most obvious unconventional monetary policy that we've had and continue to see in various jurisdictions in the world are negative interest rates. There used to be a lot of talk and discussion that there was a zero lower bound on interest rates for so many reasons, including just the difficulty of banks actually um, transmitting a negative interest rate. And certainly a lot of banks choose not to pass it on to their customers which crimps their margins. Um, But for a long time, the discussion about zero lower bound went on. And nowadays, the discussion has moved on to the effective lower bound. Beyond the effective lower bound, further cuts in rates um, are effectively counterproductive. It is what we've previously referred to in a shaken and stirred as beyond the reversal interest rate. I would argue anything below zero is certainly counterproductive and certainly one of the other, well, lesser known again, a central bankers, Thomas Jordan, chairmaning, chairman of the governing board of the Swiss National Bank, has been talking about how negative rates are fundamentally bad for the Swiss economy, hurt their whole pensions, the system and Uh, Basically, for what is a large services and financial based economy, they are certainly what he sees as some form of evil. Um, That's my word, not his. I'm paraphrasing there. And so why do they still have negative rates there? He sees it as the lesser of two evils for stopping FX appreciation, stopping the Swiss franc, continuing to rally against the euro and making Switzerland less productive. And so that basically lets me sum up on negative rates. I don't think negative rates are a decent policy tool. I think they're more counterproductive. Um, But they do work if you're the one and only economy that's actually moving to negative rates. And the only transmission mechanism they really work by is a competitive currency devaluation. So it's very much just a beggar-thy-neighbour policy.
0: Are there any other unconventional policies?
1: Yeah, there are three more that I'd like to briefly touch upon. The first is, it's labelled as unconventional by the world's central bankers, and that's just extended liquidity operations, anything from the TLTROs in Europe, which is basically providing term lending um, to any just larger liquidity facility or dollar swap facility. All of these have lots of acronyms, but they're basically just ways of providing banks and the financial system with appropriate funding. I don't think that's particularly unconventional, and I still think um, central banks being the lender of last resort when the funding isn't there elsewhere is part of their normal function. Another factor that is deemed unconventional is the use of forward guidance. And there are two parts to forward guidance. You can either have calendar forward guidance where you promise to, for example, not raise rates for the next few years. Or you can have state forward guidance, meaning state of the world and state of the economy and say, we will not raise interest rates until inflation is reaching our target. And the second one is very much what the ECB has been saying. Finally, and the bane of a lot of our lives for anybody in financial markets, there is asset purchases, or what we would call quantitative easing, QE. For me, their effectiveness, undoubtedly effective at first, um, more on the liability side than the asset side in that flooding the whole system with bank reserves has enabled banks to lend again. And the second most well reason for effectiveness is the signaling aspect of the central banks will do inverted commas, whatever it takes. I tend to think the asset price side after the initial lurch in asset prices, um, particularly in government bonds, when the central bank is expected to do QE or more QE. After that, I tend to think of it as being counterproductive, as most asset price manipulation is generally deemed, in my opinion, a bad thing in a capitalist system where we're meant to rely on price.
0: And are there side effects from each of these?
1: Uh, Yes, and this is actually something that uh, Philip Lowe, the governor of the RBA, has been talking about a little more, drawing upon the work from the BIS. Um, So there are four main side effects. The first one is what they refer to as an inaction bias, in that either regulators, because of the unconventional monetary policy, or the fiscal authorities, won't won't undertake the actions they're meant to be undertaking. Um, and, for example, at the moment, Germany remains incredibly reluctant to undertake a fiscal stimulus despite being able to run a balanced budget and still stimulate the economy by roughly $80 billion per annum more equivalent. The second one, and this is related, I think, mostly to forward guidance, um, is the moment you flatten the yield curve, and move to negative rates, you really hurt bank profitability, which in turn reduces the ability of banks to lend. The best capital of all that banks can have is equity. The best way of building equity outside of tapping existing um, shareholders is to continue to generate the capital yourself and create retained earnings. If your profitability falls, it makes it harder to retain earnings, harder to increase lending. The next one is, and this is a real bugbear of mine as well, um, is the fact that, inverted commas, zombie firms have been able to continue for far too long with interest rates far too low and the economy having a flatter, longer cycle. Um, There are arguments about should you create too big a shock, then the patient the economy will never recover. But certainly for us, there is no productivity mystery at all with too much inefficient capacity not taken out the system due to loose monetary policy. Um, It's no surprise at all that productivity isn't growing. And also very low interest rates has incentivized so many people, CEOs and CFOs around the world to slightly lever up to take their balance sheet from single A to triple B, do a big share buyback and boost their share price rather than investing in productive capacity. Um, So very much lots of side effects. But I think the last one is more on the social side. There's been a very much a blurring between the monetary and the fiscal side of nearly everybody in the Western world has benefited from QE in that the assets in their pensions has gone up. Um, But and this is a massive but those benefits have not been shared equally. The wealthier you are, the more you've actually benefited. And it's leading to increased accusations of social inequality and central banks favouring bankers and the wealthy over the man on the street. Some of this is perception, some of it reality. But certainly um, there's an intergenerational aspect of very low rates with those already with assets benefiting, those that need to save in the future are being effectively taxed by being able to get lower rates. And this is actually leading to also a boost in savings, which again is counterproductive. But this is one interesting thing, I think, is that the BIS, Bank of Fair International Settlements, say that they think the cumulative effect of these four side effects so far has been limited to date. I think that's absolutely and utterly nonsense. And we can see it in productivity figures We can see it in the rise of um, far right and far left parties trying to change the current paradigm. And certainly the side effects to me are clear and present now. But what is good is that central bankers are now discussing them and saying, actually, maybe we are at the effective lower bound or even through it. But certainly for me, one of the key themes for 2020 will be. The fact that central bankers will be stepping back more and so much more of the onus has to and should be put on fiscal policy to do the heavy lifting on the growth side as central banking policy might be counterproductive, according to central bankers, and definitely is counterproductive, according to David Roberts and myself.
0: And and Phil, is that what you would like them to do, step back rather than do anything else that they haven't done so far?
1: Definitely, yes. I think they should still provide liquidity for the banking system. Uh, that sounds almost like a tautology. That's a central bank's job and even provide the term liquidity, longer dated funding that banks can lend against. But it's very, that's very much a liquidity, not a solvency issue. But the onus has to pass to supply side reforms, boosting demand on the fiscal side and trying to boost growth that way. And a lot of those can be done in conjunction with actually um, the current theme uh, and very good theme of helping the planet. It can be done that way by investing in, for example, green energy and trying to boost areas there and trying to build the economy for the next generation through a combination of the fiscal side and supply side reforms. That would be a much better way to kickstart and boost growth um, than continuing to flog the same old um well, I won't quite say dead horse, but horse that's certainly becoming very lame.
0: Okay, thanks very much, Phil. And thank you to everyone for joining us. And we look forward to you joining us for the last podcast of 2019 next time. Thank you.